Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Leadership Group founder Mark Pittman has been leading organizations and teams for decades. He's the author of Ask Without Fear, which has been translated into Dutch, Polish, Spanish, and Mandarin, executive director of the nonprofitacademy.com, and an advisory panel member of Rogare, a prestigious international fundraising think tank. We caught up with Mark at his home in South Carolina to talk about his views on nonprofit leadership, how they developed, and what he imagines as he looks forward. Thanks so much for being here, Mark. We really appreciate it. Well, it's a distinct honor. Thanks, Jay. Um, you, you know, you've been talking about leadership quite a bit, and you've done that, in fact, in this flash class. Um, you talked about what different kinds of leaders are and did a little self-assessment with many of us. But I wanted to ask you, what kind of leader are you? Uh, um, I would squarely put myself I, – I, others may have take issue with this, but I'd squarely put myself in the transformational leadership style. When I was listening, talking with Adrian Sargent, part of what the research, Adrian wanted transformational leadership, charismatic leadership, and transactional leadership. And I said, well, we really need to put servant leadership in there. And, so, and he didn't know that there had been so much research, just apparently in the the type of research he was doing didn't, with uh, fundraising, didn't apparently look at the different leadership models. And so he was relieved to find there was a lot of um, a lot on servant leadership. I was relieved because over 50% of the people tested more predominantly the servant leader. Um, so, but for me, when I read the description of a transformational leader that was in the report, um, it made my heart sing because I love helping. Like when I, when people come to me for, for leadership or fundraising coaching, I want to find out about their mission. I want to find out why they do what they do. Not because they're going to blab it to the world, but um, leadership and fundraising push you to the edge of who you are and your limits and your knowledge. And invariably, there are multiple points in the journey that you have to decide, do I want to keep at this? Is this what I want to do? And so knowing your mission and the impact you want to have on the world is so clarifying and that for your organization. And I find so many clients hesitant about that. Not hesitant. That just seems immaterial. Let's, I don't I don't care. I just want donors to give me money. Well, there's a yes, and it's good to know where you're coming from. So for me, I I, I squarely am in the transformational leadership mindset. I like helping clarify vision and mission and what's the purpose uh, individually or organizationally. And, How about you? And did, that, did one did one come up for you that seemed to fit? Oh, I don't know. I think I still have to think through that because that's pretty attractive to me. But I. But I wonder about um, the transformation itself. And uh, during the flash class, I asked you about that, if people go through this evolutionary curve or not. Maybe that's just aspirational for me, that I'd like to think that I could do what you said and help people find uh, that kind of better version of themselves, find their, their reason for being here, and then help them to achieve it. But that doesn't mean I'm necessarily doing it. In fact, that's what I wanted to ask you next, is that mm. 
is that something, is the transformational leader that you find yourself in that category of, is that something you think you are hardwired to do, to borrow a term, uh, or, or is that something that's been evolutionary for you? Well, <laughs> oh, nature, nurture, I just don't know. I'm too close to myself to know personally. Um, I have found that, uh, as we've talked over the years, one of the things that was weird about my family growing up was that I had exposure to leadership and positive mental attitude and goal setting uh, materials at, a, at an early age. Uh, my parents were involved in Amway and uh -huh. uh, found a lot of good from the, the leadership and uh, goal setting and a lot of the educational stuff that came with that and were so excited with it, they assigned it to my sister and myself. So we had school homework and we had Pittman family homework. We had to do our school homework to wow. get her by in school. We had to do our, listen, read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or Charlie Tremendous Jones, um, Life is Tremendous, or Frank Betker's How I Raised Myself from uh, Failure to Success in Selling, as well as listening to motiv positive motivational speakers uh, aside of a tape every, I think maybe, a, I think every day, but it could have been every week and taking notes on it. So I've just, I, I've been immersed in a culture since, uh, at least since my teen years of transformational leadership, helping people to articulate a vision and a dream and, and aspirational, an aspiration and helping them move toward that. So I don't know if that was naturally my wiring. Um, but it sounds like your parents had a big role in that too. What what were they like How, that they they were giving you this this homework, all of which was very much a positive mental attitude, you know, create your own world kind of worldview. Yeah. Well, and I am so as when you look at the enneagram, I am in the aggressive stance, which is the fast motion forward. The, the future has yet to be uh, created, so we can have tremendous impact on it. We can make it and bend it to our own will. So I think there probably is a natural wiring to that made me more in line with uh, the transformational leadership. But I think it's so many skills that can be taught to um, the, you know, once you know what your organization's mission is, if you have direct reports coming to you, you can build some of those questions into your direct report meetings so that the meetings don't become things that you just blow off because neither of you find value. But you can either harvest stories that reinforce the mission that happened in that since the last time you met with that direct report. Uh, we, you know, since the last time we met, Jay, when was a time that you know, tell me more about the um, spaying and neutering cats and dogs. Uh, what was a story that came up, or when you know when were we able to help a vet do that, a vet a veteran do that? Um, and those, you can kind of build a a organic more or a, build a more organic reminder of the vision, the mission, and the vision in a way that also reinforces their role in it. Um, so there's definitely things you can learn along the way. You know, I, I'm interested to also um, in your comment about servant leadership. I know there's been a lot of research on that, and it's interesting to hear that you made sure that that was a part of that way of thinking about different types of leadership and how to diagram them so people could, could think about that carefully, their relationship to it, both personally and institutionally. But But this must be also a personal matter for you. I mean, I know you studied biblical studies and you served as a pastor as well as being an entrepreneur. And um, so st I know storytelling is also a piece of that, but help us unpack that a little bit. Where, where, where do the, where's the relationship, um, the similarities and the differences between that kind of nonprofit uh, servant leadership and the pastoral leadership? 
uh, oh, come I together. Get, I think, and personally, I feel that there's a huge overlap. I don't know in the literature, but um, I, in fact, within the last two years, I'd seen so much on servant leadership. And, and so when you start seeing things that are similar or being taught referenced a lot, it, it can, they can become um, kind of almost Frankenstein. Like it's not what was originally talked about. It's whatever the speaker wants to, they're using that term, but they're using it and twisting it to their own purposes. So I went back to Greenleaf's essay on servant leadership and read it. And it was, I think in the late sixties and it was oddly prescient for today too. Um, they said we need, he needed, we need people that aren't interested in leading, but have the character to be good leaders to almost in, in some ways die to themselves by taking on leadership, even though they don't want it because otherwise we'll be left at the mercy of people that do want the leadership and aren't safe. And it was fascinating how, you know, whatever decade you were in, you could see people, you could have this kind of, visceral oh that explains what we're doing but he was able to describe our culture in a way that uh if servant leaders don't step up so um i have yeah i've long had a a my heart's desire is to help other people be the best that they can be um and i feel like that's that is what makes me best the best that i can be like that's something i've been i've noticed over the years through college and then other times there's a um a way that people have responded back to me is that I help them bring out the best in them. And I do it like when I was pastoring a church, there was a couple that was having <laughs> real issues with our leadership because they didn't really want to, they, they didn't want to end. They didn't, they closed their church and let us then asked us, our denomination to start a service. And this couple, um, it was because of health reasons that they had to stop, not because of choice reasons. And um, they really made it hard for three of the four years but we didn't, my wife and I didn't let anybody else in the church know because it, it was small and, and gossip will um, can't be a cancer to any organization. So we just internal, we were going through um, uh, arbitration sort of meetings with denominational council and we were having one-on-ones and we were, uh, it was really contentious and vicious. Um, they were very hurting people. And um, I tried to you know, tell them that we're very similar beliefs, but we're different operating styles and that's okay to be different houses on the same road, it, but they weren't welcome in our house if they were going to keep behaving that way. And I, and I really tried to do it in a way that didn't incriminate them so nobody else knew. Uh, one, mm -hmm. one day our worship leader said to us, can I just ask you what's going on with this family? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's when my wife and I finally felt like, ah. Oh can say this because this was our core group or virtually you know this she was one of our core and um we told her and she said wow yeah i remember i remember being in the parking lot of a grocery store uh where she said mark i've never seen grace and truth modeled like that i've seen either grace which kind of leads to this vague permissiveness mm. or truth which leads to this really kind of jerk hardline you shall not pass sort of mentality right. But in a, to tell people they do not fit, but they're not awful people, to not vilify them and to not incriminate them. And, and even with your closest group, I haven't seen that before. Uh, that was a, a moment where I felt like I, I, my, <laughs> the, uh, my Charmin had been squeezed and I passed the test. <laughs> if you remember that old, squeeze, don't squeeze the Charmin commercial. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, I, I, do. Think, I think I leveled up. And so... Um, I aspire to be a servant leader. I think um, it would be great if a lot of I, there's, but I've never, I've never seen a leadership position that I didn't 
aspire to. So I'm not sure how that fits with Greenleaf's definition of, of servant <laughs> leadership. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, you know me, I'm a gregarious sort of fun loving person that um, really rarely meets a camera that they, he doesn't like. Um, it's like, if there's a microphone, yeah, I'll take it. Um, it, cause I, partly I feel like I'm doing the work to be like, I'm doing a lot of work on, you know, whether it's mindfulness or study or doing the research or, uh, opening myself up to, to harsh feedback so that I can be the safest person that I can be to present this or the most sound person. Cause I would never want to do something that would be harmful to another, um, so, so I, I do a lot that, of hard work to be safe. Does that um, naturally bring you into places where you can fix the things that are broken, or try to encourage the things which are not? Because you you mentioned in a in a flash class, you said, um, and perhaps quoting someone else, but I'd like to think it was you. Um, <laughs> if you're fundamentally broken, you may be on the verge of greatness. That was so actually. What do you mean by that? And then, are you attracted to maybe things that are broken but on the verge of greatness i love reframing things and so if you're familiar are you have i know i mentioned the enneagram and then the, the flash class are you familiar with that methodology or that typology no no i okay. wasn't before no. okay so there's one of the nine types is a type seven that part of what we do instantly and there's a whole reason why we do this but we're instantly good at, re, at reframing things i've been told that um you know i i believe there's a silver lining to every cloud but um Somebody told me, yeah, sometimes you'll bring the duct tape and paste that around <laughs> so that you create your own silver lining. Um, so I love helping people see that, yes, this could be awful and horrendous and this situation is. But if you look at it from this other perspective, just like the, the, the map I showed, the four quadrants of leadership I showed in the flash class of we see the external cues and we think we're busted. But maybe it's just because we're that's and that there is we aren't doing everything correctly. Absolutely, that's the right perspective. But one perspective isn't necessarily the only perspective. If we shifted it more and realized, oh, there's this whole other half of the map where we're listening, we're involving our internal cues as well, organizationally mm -hmm. and interpersonally. So um, yeah, I do like, I really, uh, coming up with Concord Leadership Group, it's oh, rebranding is always an exercise of intense navel gazing that nobody else really cares about. But let me tell you a story. <laughs> One of the things that when I got to rebrand from fundraising coach and had to reincorporate in South Carolina, um, I really love the scene in Disney's version of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where um, Peter, Susan, and Lucy are, uh, Edmund's already left, and Peter, Susan, and Lucy are sitting at the beaver's table. And the beavers are saying, um, they're saying, tell them about the prophecy. And Peter says, we're not kings or queens. I think you've got the wrong people. And Susan says, we're from Finchley. And I really wanted to call Concord Leadership Group Finchley Leadership Group, but I couldn't find any other place where Finchley Leader was used in the Chronicles of Narnia except Disney. And I know Disney has a large cast of lawyers that rightfully enforce <laughs> Uh, copyright. So uh, my lawyer and I were like, my lawyer actually called me down on the carpet. He said, you don't want to build something where you have 3,000 people in there talking about Finchley. It's going to have Finchley leaders, Finchley leadership group. I was going to have all this. Um, and he said, you don't want, they, they will have the right to come down and say, could you tell us the origin story? Well, I saw this movie and there was nowhere else. So, uh, but what I love about the scene is that they are, if you know the stories, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and even Edmund become royalty in Narnia. 
they become the kings and queens of Narnia, but they're not so full of themselves. Like, so there's this interesting balance of there are people that are just not full of themselves and never believe anything good about themselves. And there, I find them hard to work with. There are people that are so egotistical that they don't believe that they have any faults, which I find hard to work with. But there's a sweet spot of people that know their shortcomings and are willing to journey on and press through and maybe grow into that royalty. And that's those are so I think that's where the that the, the servant leadership or whatever we want to call it, the fixing broken things, being on the verge of greatness. Those are the type of people I love. Um, I have a real heart for, we, we noticed this at the boarding school that we used to live at, my wife and I, um, that we had hearts for the leaders, the student leaders. And we mm-hmm. felt like this is too easy. I think often that's a cue now for a lot of, for, for us is that when we think something is too easy, that means that could mean that we're just, good at it <laughs> and that's our calling <laughs> uh, i think it's i can't remember who it was uh that said something about where your joy frederick beekner maybe where your joy meets the world's need is where your purpose is um but we, we have this sort of well it's gonna if it, it, it can't be work if it doesn't hurt you know if we're enjoying it we can't really be doing something important <laughs> um, and so we would try to work with other type other populations of kids but we didn't have that that same sort of integration and harmony and integrity that we have when we were working with the student leaders. And we realized in working with the student leaders and, and then reflecting on our lives, working with other leaders that leadership is so incredibly isolating. Um, and so to be the privileged person that gets to walk into that leader and say, you're okay. You're, we got this, we'll figure this out. And you don't have to be like the other people. Uh, you don't have to look like that. Maybe you, maybe there are aspects that you want to take on and attributes, but you got to this position. And even if you think you're a fraud, other people don't, and they may have the better perspective on this than you do. So let's work through that. Um, and let's, let's try to build out, not therapy, not, I mean, there are qualified therapists and that's why I say you may be broken and there, are, you know, there may be other specialties that you need, but just to be a informed um, coach and expert, and leadership that can say, well, what if we pulled this out of you? And what if we pulled this out of your organization and and not pull it out to remove it or replace it, but pull it out to draw it out because there's real good in here. And this is actually a unique gift. That thing that doesn't sound like anybody else actually is a voice that needs to be heard by the greater community possibly. Let's explore that. that so it sounds like you're, pre- you're pretty hopeful that in almost any leadership situation, you can work with people to to be better versions of themselves. Any leadership situation that meets that comes through to me, yeah. So that's why, like, for coaching, I'd always do a pre-coaching call because if there are people that are going to be just blaming, victimizing, victimized all over the place and blaming everybody else, I can't help them because they got to mm-hmm. take ownership of their own stuff. Um, and if there are people, I've had people that will come into coaching and not want to do the work. They want me to fix it all. I can't help them. It's their work. It's not my work. I can point out things. It's like it would be as just as wrong for a golf coach to go in and play a PGA tour or for a football coach to go in and play the Super Bowl. They're not that's not their job. Their job is to observe the players and help them tweak and change and grow and move their team around. Um, so I think anybody can lead if they're if they're willing to. Yes. Uh, anybody can grow if they're willing to. But I, I I've met a lot of people and it doesn't seem like everybody's as interested in that. <laughs> I guess it's all a matter of timing when when they're able to reflect um, as well as look forward. It's not it's not just about the rearview mirror. Um, and and 
in fact, in, I wanted to ask you about that. You you mentioned uh, again in in the, during the flash class uh, about Alfred Nobel and mm -hmm. the eulogy, and you talked about how he didn't want to be remembered. Uh, he'd want his eulogy delivered, talking about how he had been the man behind dynamite uh, right. and and war and death, but uh, but something greater. I don't. That's not his word, clear. Right? So when you think about this, I'm sure you've talked with many leaders, nonprofit leaders especially, about this, about how to, you know, do the greater thing. But how do you feel about this yourself? I mean, what is what is the eulogy you wish to write for yourself? Wow. Um, that's almost like asking me to share my personal mission statement, which I don't do because it is so intensely personal uh, to me. But I appreciate the question. And what I will say is that uh, the eulogy that that exercise I went to, I happen to be the type of person that consumes a lot of information and retains it. But if I'm going to actually act on it, sometimes I need to take myself out so out of the situation. So like mm -hmm. I, out of my normal situation. So I went to a Franklin Covey, I think it was a first things first class back in the day. And they had this eulogy thing. And it was really interesting to have what would I had a person that I greatly esteemed a business? What did I want them to say about me? What did I want my wife to say about me? And what did I want? Maybe it was my kids to say about me at my funeral. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would want is that, well, I guess what I can share is that I would love to be remembered as a person that released people into their greatest joy. Mm -hmm. um, I think life is so, there's so much pressure and so many distractions and so much. Uh, wrong with the world, but there are moments of pockets of joy, and there are things that we can find that really release us to be the fullness of ourselves. And I, to see a a, a person who's who's clued in and clicking into all the different parts of themselves that are just giving them life, that's that I would love to be the facilitator of that. I think that's why. Um, Early on in my life, I, I wanted to be a spiritual director, um, not necessarily a pastor of a church, but I'd like to work with anyone who's working on their spiritual growth and partnering with them and sharing as a as a follower of Jesus what I feel, but also learning from the Tao Te Ching and learning from the Bhagavad Gita and learning from other faith traditions um, to not necessarily change mine or have them change theirs. But I think there's something about the journey together in community that's important. And so um, another analogy that uh, I was shocked by was the whole, I read it on a book on spiritual direction about midwifing this for spiritual causes. Like I can't, I couldn't birth the baby uh, that, you know, that was my wife's role. She had to do that, but man, I could stand by her and I could do a lot of other things to help facilitate that. Um, and that I would love to be known probably, I think I would love to be known as someone who help people realize their own potential. Maybe even just by cracking the door open and letting them know there is a brighter future out there.